Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 222. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, although you've been more permanent than semi-permanent of late, it's Jay Pestercelli, CEO of Zega Financial. Jay, what's going on today? Derek, uh, it's an exciting day in the market. It's uh, right before a three-day weekend. When people hear it, maybe it's right after, but things are moving and shaking, man. A lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, let's get into it. There's we got to touch on Nvidia and just the gain in market cap. We'll talk about that. 7% on treasury bills. Uh but first, I saw a great meme and obviously our audience can't see this, but I'll describe it. And it was basically AI is throwing a party on like a yacht and then you have crypto, somebody is, you know, treading water about to go underwater. And then blockchain <laughs> is a skeleton at the bottom of the ocean, like sitting in a chair, just sitting there. <laughs> like, yeah. Look, those had their chance to be market movers, and they were in a very narrow, you know, slice of uh, of, of companies, right? And you know, you're you're right. Like, I think we talked about this last week, right? Where we thought, you know, crypto would be the thing that defines this. You know the Gen Z and the, the hot thing in the market. It looks like it's AI right now. I mean, is there anything hotter besides political strife? Is there anything hotter than AI right now? I don't think so. I would also say that is it now? You know that I've been a crypto skeptic. I've been a blockchain skeptic because I look at it and I say, is there anything that I can use today that's crypto or blockchain outside of crypto? And my answer is no. I think that it's under. I think it's disappointed. But AI, like people are legitimately using that for stuff. Although, you know, we always tie things back to the market. And this is not unlike what I saw in 1994, where every telephonist, duh, call it telephonist to Chile, telephonist to Mexico, all were trading, you know, going nuts. That was the thing. And, you know, I mean, we've seen this, this sort of song before, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I don't know if you were going with the, hey, I didn't believe in crypto and it's not the thing, but I believe in AI and now it is the thing. Is that where you're going? You're going to oh, yeah. take some... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I can take a victory lap. Yeah. Crypto is... I'm, not, I'm yeah. not willing to throw you know crypto out with the bathwater. I'm just saying it's not the thing leading the market, right? It's not the, the thing that's pushing you know dramatic appreciation. It's not the dot-com boom. It's it's not when Clorox, you know, put a dot com at the end of their, you know, ticker, their their name, and all of a sudden, you know, they went up thirty percent, right? It's not. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. That's it's fine. It's actually you could argue it's been more stable than Treasuries. Can we can we make that argument? I don't have the numbers. Wait, what? In front of you. What did you say? AI is more stable or crypto? No, I'm sorry. I'm saying crypto is more stable than really? Treasuries right now. <laughs> I might be exaggerating without any math. It just feels pretty steady and treasuries are all over the place. Well, if I didn't already put in a, a prompt into my AI thing already, I would I would look that up and see if it would tell me. But yeah, I don't know. My point is like kids in their dorm rooms are using AI right now. Nobody's using blockchain besides the people doing blockchain stuff. And I don't even know what that is. I'm a skeptic, all right? I'm, I'm sticking to it. I do think AI is the thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, AI's got some real meat behind it. Agreed. 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 I, it feels a little overblown, but we'll see, right? Well, let's talk about overblown. N NVIDIA, 
what do they say on their sales? They're, uh, they said something on the call. Oh, yeah, we think we're going to, I don't know if it's double sales, but. They think they said double. Did they really? They double. That's kind of yeah, promising. I think they said double. I mean, granted, the stock probably trades at a, at a really high PE multiple. I haven't looked it up. But just to put in perspective, Jay, NVIDIA gained the other day, I, I think it was anywhere from $175 billion to $200 billion in market cap. And to quantify this, if you just took at the uh, look at the dollars gained in market cap, so market cap is the number of shares times the price of the stock. So just the gain in market cap would have been equal to about the 35th biggest company in the S&P 500 index, Jay. This is big, and I'll throw another, yeah, I'll throw one more thing out. I was just say, I believe, yeah, go ahead, you go, you go. Yeah, yeah, and then I, I went and I asked, uh, I did some AI research, as you know, I love to do these days. And I went and I said, tell me what other companies have ever gained as much in market cap. I don't I haven't fact checked this at all, but Amazon in 2002 191 billion, Apple in 179 billion. Of course those companies were 1.7 trillion and 2.9 trillion uh, respectively in uh, you know they already had a big market cap. So it's a big move, Jay. It's a big move. It's a yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, it was a it's 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 been a while since we've seen something like that. And the story behind it is pulling everything else up around it, right? You throw AI in any of your, I feel we're going to see more and more press conferences and, and uh, uh, P, you know, uh, uh, companies talking about their component, of the, you know, the co- component of their company that has AI. Uh, it just feels like you can't ignore it at this point, right? So it's, uh, it was a big move. Like, you know, we've been trading for years and it was a big one. Oh, let's put it. Let's put it in that context. It was a big one. I mean, what what was its attribute? So the S and P, the day that it gap opened up, what was it, thirty percent or whatever it was, the S and P gained what one percent? I think, probably close to that. Uh, I think at the open it was around one percent. There's a lot of stuff moving around there, right? Yeah. Yes. But I mean, you think about. I mean, Nvidia is a pretty big company now. It's it's in the top ten in size. So. Thirty percent bigger now than it was last. Week. <laughs> no, that's right. So my my thing is, I mean, that most of the gains that day you probably could be attributed to Nvidia. I mean, you saw that like Nvidia is not in the Dow, and the Dow is down, and the S and P was up. So yeah, no, perfect. Same thing with the Rut, right? The Russell, I think, was flatter down the same day, right? So yeah, it, and it, you know, it's pulling the whole market up with it, um, and I think that will start to bleed into other. Other tickers. I think Marvell came out the day after, right, which was today or last night, and they also mentioned AI. That's up, you know. I mean, it's not up thirty percent. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it's going to be that kind of a feel to it for a little while. I, you know, I don't know the model yet for AI, like the revenue component, right? You're paying what a subscription for a certain amount of services or certain amount of access, right? That. So is it going to be a service revenue model? I've looked for for Nvidia and Marvell. I get it that they are producing the components that allow AI to run, like the, obviously the chips. But like, who, who's paying up for all this, right? Like, eventually, there's got to be a there's somebody paying for AI, right? Somebody wants that capacity, and how are they selling it, right? So what is, you know, I don't subscribe to ChatGPT. I know you do. What's how are you paying for it? What are they making off you? 
Well, they make $20 a month, but I get ChatGPT4. So that's that's the highest or the most recent. You can get ChatGPT 3.5 for free. And you're right, but I mean it's it's open sourced. I guess them and I and I have a, you know, they call it quote unquote picks and shovels. It's it's Levi's made money is still around during the gold rush when everything else went bust because they sold blue jeans. So, you know, and I'm not saying you should go out and buy, like, if you don't own NVIDIA, by the way, if, if you own the S&P 500, congratulations, you already have NVIDIA in there. That's part of the value of, of buying and hedging, but buying a large cap indexes, you have it. But yeah, Jay, I mean, I think the, this is, I mean, look at what happened in, in late 90s, early 2000s. You had a lot of players that came into to existence. A lot of companies went bankrupt, but the technology kept going forward. I don't know what the direct business model of, you know, a chat GPT is yet. I think it, but it's the existing companies that might be able to use this. Um, but I mean, could you imagine if it was closed source, but it, maybe if it was closed source, it wouldn't be used. It wouldn't be adopted like this. I don't know. This is what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, this is two months old, Jay. Like really <laughs> it's two months old. <laughs> All right. Well, looks like NVIDIA is going to be an early uh, benefactor of it. Well, so, so far, uh, Intel, what is it? In, somebody made the, the quote, or I read something online that Intel has, I, I, I haven't even looked it up, so I'm, I'd be making it up. But like Intel's revenues are higher than, than NVIDIA's, but Intel is down versus NVIDIA. I don't know. Um, I'm not telling you to buy or sell NVIDIA. I don't know where the stock's going. Uh, I'll let you know in a year what it did in the next year. How's that? But I will tell you, Jay. What is going up as well is yields on treasuries, not only across the board, and but also we saw a 7% annualized yield to maturity, Jay, on a treasury. That's exciting news, don't you think? Uh, yes, nice transition, by the way. Yes, so on the flip side of things, uh, and you know, it's strange, right? So the dynamic has definitely changed a little bit here. I think there's a couple things pushing it around, right? Clearly the the debt ceiling discussion has been um, a factor on the short end of the curve. The yield you're talking about, Derek, was a pretty short-term treasury, correct? How? What was the duration on it? Yes. So I looked at this on May 24th. It was the June 1st uh, expiration. So essentially, it's it's a week, and your annualized yield is seven percent. So Jay, I'm going to put on my professor sat for for ten seconds. I'm going to explain this. Oh uh, yes, okay? please grab your pencils, everyone. You listen need a up. Sound effect. Well, Derek, I, when you go to professor, you I'm need a working. Sound effect. I have the ability to do it. I didn't. Uh, here, hang on. We'll do it. How about this? That's that's great. I love it. I love this. That's the only one I had queued up there. That's it comes with the program we use. Zencaster, great great podcasting recording program. All right, here we go, kids. Listen up. Grab your pencils. When you buy a treasury, you buy it and uh, T-bills, this one in particular that I was looking at, it doesn't pay a coupon. So you buy it at a certain price. At maturity, it matures at $100 or $1,000 per bond. So you could have bought this one for roughly, when I looked at it, it was below 7%. But let's say you buy it at $998.70. It means you buy it at that, it matures uh, a week later, and you get 1000 bucks. So you make $1.30. That yield to maturity says, assumes that you're doing that and, it, and you're going to get it again and again and again, like 52 more times. So even though you're only getting $1.30, 
annualized over the year, that's how you get, you know, right around that 7%. The reason why these, these yields went so high is because the, the price went down. And people, although even if the treasury were to default, it's, you own a treasury. And so my belief, this is my opinion only, you, you wouldn't not get your money back. But let's say it took you a week or there was a little bit of delay. That's an opportunity cost. And so nobody really wanted these, these bonds. Um, so that, that's the end of the chart school, Jay, or the, the, uh, the, the school session. But that's what you're saying. So it's not like you made 7%. You, didn't make 7%, you wouldn't make 7% in a week. It's an annualized rate. And it's just probably because there's a little like, what if it takes an extra day or two for you to get your cash? And so they probably say, ah, normally five, move it to seven. Maybe it takes two days for you to get your money. There's almost a way to infer on how long it takes to approve the debt ceiling in that. But now maybe I'm reading too detailed into it. Yeah. No, I, I think you do. But yeah, and to your point, Jay, I mean, I think the actual yield is like 0.13%, which interestingly enough, in one week, on that treasury bill, you would earn as much as you would have in a year on a two-year treasury bill back in, you know, call, pick any year, like 2017, whatever. When two-year treasuries were, were generating basically 0.13, 0.15% annually. So the tides have changed on yields, Jay, for sure. But even, you know, even if we go out the, the next, you know, I'm looking at, uh, and I know I sent you a document. You'll have to page down a little bit, but I pasted in the, the U.S. Treasuries. You know, the one month is getting close to 5.6, three month, 5.32. Uh, then you go out, you know, fours and six are actually higher, almost 5.5. So, Jay, yields are ticking up. And it's, it's interesting to me because one of the things that we're seeing is a lot of duration hunting. Uh, Eric Baltunas from Bloomberg. You were on with him, I remember, right, Jay? Were you on in studio? Or I was did on you with do? Eric. Uh, we did a remote with Eric. Yep. You did a remote. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's good. He covers their, uh, he's sort of their ETF guy, or one of the ETF guys. He really he puts out a lot of good content on that. And on Twitter, he put something out. It was a screenshot showing TLT, which is basically the 20 plus uh, duration uh, treasury ETF has some, I think it has the most year-to-date fund flows. And at the same time too, maybe we'll talk about this secondarily, uh, the 3X daily, basically TLT ETF, is also seeing a ton of flows. Like, what is everyone doing here? Like, everyone's going for long duration. Like, the market is betting that rates are dropping, right? But we're not seeing that. I mean, that's it. Yeah, I mean that's it, right? The reason you'd add that duration is if the if rates were to drop, your bonds would appreciate, right? We know that they have that kind of seesaw inverse relationship. So the theory is the long well not the theory, the math works out that the longer in duration you have, the more you'd appreciate if rates uh, uh, were to drop, right? So it's a little bit like uh, you know like uh, you move the lever a little bit, you move the fulcrum of that seesaw. And so what happens is, uh, I think, right, this is a position where people are, you know, probably feel that rates will be lower in the future. So I want appreciation of my bonds. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. 
right? Uh, there was some, what data came out this morning, Derek? Was it uh, PCE? Was that? No, that's that right. PCE. Yeah. That was a little hot, right? And it was hot. And, you know, looks like maybe rates aren't going to go down anytime soon. And we've seen a transition in the market from, uh, uh, you know, a projection of maybe rate cuts to maybe not so many rate cuts by the end of this year. So and we could dig more into that in a minute. But I think your point about why do we see inflows into like the, the longer duration products? It's a price appreciation play, right? There's, there's no other way to, uh, to, to describe that, right? So um, it's a bet that rates will drop in the future. And right now, it, unfortunately, you're on the wrong side of that bet because rates have been going the other way. Rates have been ticking higher over the last few weeks, especially out farther on the, on the curve. When you look at the price change of, say, TLT. I think I saw today it was at 100. Sorry, I'm going to do a little cheating here. Um, yeah, right. So I think it touched on $100 uh, uh, a share. But if you were just to look as recently as, I don't know, uh, let's say the beginning of April, it was more like 108. So, you know, that is, you know, obviously that's eight bucks down on 108, almost about 8%, 7% drop. The point is, that as rates have been going up, those longer duration products have been hurt, even though there's these inflows, right? Even though there are a lot of inflows going in. But, you know, interesting if you look at charts, Derek, that's uh, maybe a level of support here, but yet to be determined. Hard to know. You mentioned the the key phrase too, and I'm going to do some math on the fly here. You can hear me clicking in the background. And the duration of a 30-year uh, treasury and uh, let, let's make the coupon uh, uh, 4%. Let's say we have a brand new, off the, fresh off the rack, and we're going to say that, uh, that rates are, are at 4% if I do that. Okay. So it's, it's roughly 17, to 17 years plus in duration. So if interest rates went up 1%, you would expect to lose roughly, you know, back of the napkin about 17%. And the inverse is true too. If rates drop by 1%, you make roughly the same. It, it, when I say back of the napkin, uh, duration sort of changes a little bit and you have convexity. We'll leave that aside. But Jay, I think that's what you were saying. People think rates are going down. They're not buying that because they, they're excited about getting 4% a year for the next 30 years, right? Nope, nope. It's, it's, a, it's a value of the bond play. That's right. So then Eric Patunas also on Twitter, and I thought this was interesting as well, he posted a TMF, which I guess is the triple leveraged, so basically 3x TLT. And the fund flow, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of fund flows over the last, let's say, March, April, May. And this is down about 9% year to date. Now, Jay, I mean, I guess we should give a little public service announcement. Like triple, these triple products are not meant to necessarily over the long term equal TLT, right? No, no, no. Right. You don't, I mean, generally speaking, you don't want to be in triples for longer than, you know, what, a week, right? Because you get the math, the compounding of the math works against you uh, quite a bit. And even if you're right on direction, you could still lose, right? So buying a triple and being like, great. I'll make triple and come back in a year and you'd be wondering why you didn't make money and you lost money. You have to understand the math movement there 
um, and the daily uh, the daily repricing and compound challenges. I bet the professor could do a whole class on that one, but just service announcement, don't, uh, don't hold anything that's leveraged, up or down, leveraged, uh, too long. Yeah, and, and Directsham, by the way, this is their product. I believe it's theirs. They actually uh, have videos on their site, and, and they're pretty clear about what it is. I mean, they're trying to, to do a daily price change. What's interesting, too, is unlike a risk parity where you say, okay, well, 30 of treasuries are yielding 4%. So if I do a risk parity and I do you know return stacking or I do leverage on top of this, and try and get you know two times the the you know can I get eight percent? These are different. I mean the the dividend uh, and this is according to Nasdaq.com and obviously TLT dividend is going to change if rates stay higher and blah blah blah. But the dividend yield they're showing is about three point two one percent on uh, on TMF. It's only one point eight eight percent. Do you think people are going into this Jay and thinking they're going to get triple the the dividend too? I hope not. Uh, no, it's 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 just adding the daily volatility. By the way, these are great trading vehicles. Don't get me wrong, right? You want to day trade these things if that's what you want to do. A lot of people find that fun. Great. These are fine for that, right? If you have a thesis, it helps you. And like, there's a benefit here on these things where you don't have to like trade in the futures market and use the leverage there, right? So they definitely provide some good. We're not saying they're toxic. We're just saying don't hold them too long. And you certainly shouldn't expect the dividends to increase. It's all has to do with the bank swaps and how they create the leverage. And there's a lot of players taking uh, a piece out of uh, out of those products. And so it should not be for the yield, right? You want to do yield, you should be talking about the options market as a way to generate yield instead. But that's a different conversation. Um, yes, it's trade them. You're going to get triple, double the move. Don't hold them long. All right, Jay, you tease the the changes in expectations for interest rates by the Fed. Um, so let, let's kind of go there. I want to start with just, I'm going to go on, it's not a rant, but everyone goes on <laughs> television. All right, I'm just going to do it. It's Friday. Like everyone goes do on, it. Just yeah, everyone goes on TV and says, oh, the, the, the Fed funds are, are pricing in a quarter point raise now. And you know, two weeks ago, they're they're pricing in no change, and they're pricing in a quarter point cut. And like two months ago, it was like this or that. All right, let me explain something to you. The market implied terminal rate, meaning that the highest that the Fed funds is going to get right now, is basically saying five point two six percent, which would be another quarter point. And if people out there are saying that's the most rates will go up to. I just want to point back to June. We're coming up on June. And the beginning of June, rates were the implied terminal rate was 3.25%, meaning that's the highest that rates will go. So, like, stop looking at these things and thinking this is the gospel. Like, this is exactly what's going to do, uh, things are going to do. And by the way, can I just say it? Like, stop looking at the dot plots when it's a dot plot meeting. Because I can show you five years ago what they thought the rate would be today, and it's not there, Jay. But regardless of that, I don't know if you have any comments on that, or you can just talk about what you're seeing in the rates market. Well, I don't, I don't want to get in the way of your, your passionate discussion here, but I will say that, um, look, you're right. The narrative changes every day, 
And we are definitely seeing a change in the narrative, right? It was a no-brainer just four months ago that we were going to have a recession. The Fed was going to have to cut. They're being too aggressive, despite the Fed saying they're going to be, you should expect higher for longer. But now, you know, here at the end of May, the narrative is definitely changing. Um, Believe it or not, Derek, the odds of a rate change for the um, for the June meeting uh, went from basically nothing uh, a, f- a month or two ago to now there's uh, like a 60, 65 percent chance that we will get a rate increase at this meeting. Right. Everybody thought we were done. People were talking about the Fed cutting. You're right. It changes from day to day the narrative can definitely change. And uh, it's just something that you have to be aware of and nobody knows the future. I know we talk about it all the time and we remind people we don't know how it's going to turn out, but we're, we're, we're happy to observe what has happened already. And there is definitely, you know, a change a coming when it comes to the outlook and uh, the rate meeting in two and a half weeks is going to be interesting. Put some color on this further. Uh, one month ago, so this is April 26th, which, yeah, it's it's sort of today is May 26th as we're recording this. The probability of a quarter point raise was 13.7%. And as you pointed out, Jay, it's getting close to 65% today. So was the market wrong a month ago or was the market right? Is the market right or wrong right now? And I believe that these closer into the meeting that you get. And, and you know, the Fed has not really su- done any surprises. They've pretty much, whatever's been telegraphed is what they've done. Like they haven't gone, like the market, the futures two days before the meeting weren't at a, a cut of 50 basis points and then they go ahead and raise. Like they pretty much done what the, the expectations are nearest to the meeting. But yeah, and I would say these, we're seeing rates across the board go higher. Uh, we're seeing it, as you point out, not only in 30 years out, but we're seeing it in you know, 5.6% you can get, uh, 5.5% for you know like six months now or something like that. So look, there's a lot of people that are happy to have that rate, you know? Um, it's fantastic. It's, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fine. It's well, fine. I, I've always said, and we brought it up before, People assume, you know, the rate rates have to get cut back to, oh, they got to go to 2%. They got to bring Fed funds. Why? Why would they do anything if there's no recession, if there's no reason? Like, this is what they always wanted to do to get out of the, the endless, you know, chasing your tail of we got to be at zero rates. We can never raise. Like, isn't this what they wanted? And if you get no recession and retirees and, and you know, can get five, five and a half percent, Six percent, whatever it is, in in treasuries, which the quote unquote have no risk, like that's a good deal for people, I think, Jay. And and so I don't know. I mean, this this higher for longer now is is certainly taking hold. But I go back to why would they lower? They're not going to just lower because they feel like it. Like why would they lower, Jay, without a recession, without pain? Well, I mean, I think the goal for the Fed is typically inflation plus one right, is where they like rates to be for, you know, whatever their math is, right, that they like that. Um, And so if inflation does come down to 2%, having a 5% rate is higher than they, why, for all the reasons that they like that in their equations. 
I'll also add that it's more expensive for the U.S. to pay that debt, right? So there's there are some reasons and arguments, uh, you know, as to why if there's no recession, why they might want rates to bleed down. When you take a look at what they project on a five-year basis, they see Fed funds at three and a half because that's kind of where they'd like it to be when inflation is two to three percent. Like there you go. But it doesn't mean they have to act. They can take their time. By the way, you mentioned the political considerations. That that is a factor, and uh, the the way you know, could we see at some point Joe Biden grabs two of his big Secret Service agents and walks over to Jay Powell's office, closes the door, says, "We're having a conversation on rates." And I say that sarcastically, completely, but there have been books written about. I think it was Lyndon Johnson got into it a little bit with his Fed uh, chair. I think Nixon may have as well. People can Google that or use ChatGPT to, to do that research. So your point is is a really good one, Jay, in that right now the annualized run rate is just under a trillion dollars annual that we're going to have to pay on our debt, our interest payments. So we borrow money, we issue treasuries. I say we, like I've, I'm not the one who ran up 25 trillion in debt, but they did it. And that becomes un- untenable. Imagine if we get to the point where $2 trillion is the interest cost per year. So I agree, Jay. I think it's a, it's a smart thing to bring up because politically, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Fed to lower rates, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And look, you, you just gave me, you know, you asked, why would they lower it? There's one reason. I was just answering your question. All right. Well, I, I went a different direction. Uh, Jay, the... <laughs> I asked the question, by the way, in uh, you know our, our investment committee. We were sort of we we sort of have these discussions that aren't really tangential or meaningful to anything that we're doing. I mean, we buy and hedge, we buy and buffer, we have other strategies, systematic uh, selling volatility, but we have these great discussions. And I think one of the things I threw out is, you know, do you see Fed funds or Treasuries uh, going to six percent before core? CPI gets below four on an annualized basis. And I think you kind of have to think about it, right? I mean, rents are still going up. Yeah. So, yeah. So talk through that. So that dynamic historically has been what? Like, you know, why is the relationship like you're projecting something that would be, I think you're picking two interesting points here. So what has been the relationship between them in the past? Well, I mean, so, so rents in particular are, I think, and, and housing is like 40% what makes up, you know, some of the, the core CPI. Uh, I could be wrong on, on the shading of it. And I, I pull up, one of the things I watch is the, the Zillow has these observed rents. And they update it at the end of every month, they put it out. And that is less lagging than the Fed's CPI data. And although they came down maybe November, December, they've been moving higher every month since the start of the year, and they moved higher again in, in April. And I've talked in the past, there was a, uh, I think it was 40 different economists did a, a really detailed research report and said, you know, when, when the Fed keeps rates higher and they raise rates, rents actually go up because, you know, cap costs or any number of reasons why it happens. But the thing is, if rents keep going up and if wages keep going up, and if rents and housing is a big component of the core CPI and the core PCE, like it's it's still it's sticky now. It's a problem, and maybe they have to go to six percent 
to bring it down. I have no idea. But that's that's the relationship, Jay, that I look at there. And the the dynamic right now, which seems to be the scenario, is that because rates are higher, uh, mortgages are less desirable right now. So people aren't buying houses and they're renting. And so they're actually hurting the rental supply and right housing costs are, you know, uh, uh, there, there is a supply problem with housing. So guess what happens? Housing costs goes up in those scenarios. So it's almost like it's weird where you'd think, you know, not weird, that the initial impact of slowing down the housing market happened when they raised rates, but rates went up so fast. Now they're, it's almost like it builds on top of each other that, you know, that component of the core CPI will continue to go up because rates are going up. It's a little bit of a, you know, it's, a, it's an unfortunate symptom of rates moving this rapidly. I'm not sure that's something that people put a lot of thought into uh, ahead of time when their only tool is raising rates and they just said do more and do a lot. I think it's actually going to start to keep CPI higher accidentally. I mean, that's kind of a weird, perverse relationship that's going on there. It is, and I'll, and I'll go another level, not too deep, but I'll go another level. Maybe I'll, I'll do a, a deep dive on this at some point, is renting. There, there's all these scenarios and, and formulas about, is it better to rent or buy? And renting right now in all but like three major metropolitan areas is a better deal, and that's because mortgage rates went up. But I'm going to give you a, an interesting point. Let's say you had a you finance $500,000 and the interest rate was 3%. The very first payment that you make, uh, excluding taxes or any, any others, is just your, your interest in principal, is a total payment of $2,108.02. Okay, that's not important. What's important is the interest that you pay on that is only $1,250. The principal is $858. If I raise mortgages, the interest rate, to 7%, my first payment is now $3,326. Again, it's higher. That's not shocking. That's not the news. But now the interest payment on that is $29.16 a month versus only $409 in principal. And so the reason I bring this up is most people want to buy because they think I'm paying money to somebody else or I'm throwing money away. But when interest rates get much higher on a mortgage, the amount that goes to principal is much, much less. And so this is where it's like, well, I'm renting or I'm paying the interest. And it becomes less about building that equity. I mean, when rates were 3%, you're almost 50-50 on your very first payment. So I bring that up, Jay, and it's, it's just an interesting dynamic. It's, it's more involved than I think we'll get into here. But it's, the choice is not as clear as it once was, Jay. I feel like that warranted uh, the professor sound uh, soundbite because that, that was good. That was very, very educational. And it's actually pretty insightful and nobody's talking about it, Derek. So, nobody is talking uh, about it. No, no. It's just another one of those things that are kind of happening under the surface that you, the way, and I think you simplified it, but it's still too complicated for Bloomberg or CNBC to talk about. So we won't hear about it that way. So they got to get it for the broken pie chart podcast only and only here all right jay um last we, we got to talk about the markets and i think the market it, it's it's sideways it's not that wide we've seen it be in this range for a long time we really haven't seen but for a few days this week when the market was down over one percent 
we haven't seen a lot of really big percentage moves. And this is from, who is this from? I found this on Twitter. Uh, Carson Investment Research and FactSet. So they came out with this thing. Stocks up big as of day 100 could mean more green. That was the title of it. And the deal is the S&P 500 year to date was up greater than 7% on day 100. And I believe that's trading days, as you point out. What happens the rest of the year? Uh, Jay, the average is, let's see, when you're up greater than 7% after 100 trading days, the rest of the year average is a gain of 9.4%. So a few years on, that it was- On the next 150 days? That's next 150, right? so the first, yeah. The next 150 average over nine. Got it. So- That's exciting. It, it does. And, you know, I, I think we're seeing some investment banks raise their targets right now. But, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the market? But I don't know, Jay. I mean, does good markets breed more good markets? Is that kind of the, the thing here? Well, sure. Markets generally go up. We talk about that, right? And it's why we don't try to time entries, right? It's why we stay invested. It's why we stay hedged. We don't want to miss out on it, despite what everybody was saying. Nobody thought this year would be a, what, a, we're talking like a plus 18, right? If we get another nine after, you know, or we're up seven. I'm not sure when this chart was uh, put together. I don't know when the actual 100th trading day of the year was. Seems to be about now. Um, but uh, right, if you add another nine, we're talking what? Somewhere between 16 to 18% for the year. I don't think that was in anybody's forecast with the exception of one uh, ultra bull on our IC, on our investment committee. Uh, but besides that, yeah, like I think that would be uh, a nice surprise. And, you, and you're right. Usually the markets will, um, you know, confidence breeds more confidence. And the more you could shake off fear, the more people realize like, oh, I got to put money to work. And there were a lot of other choices for people to put money to work uh, this year, certainly with treasuries paying, you know, at the beginning of the year, close to five, uh, shorter term stuff, right? You want to, or even four, lock that in. And you go, woo, I'll take that and avoid the market volatility. But yet on day 100 being up seven, eight, nine percent uh, Now maybe that starts to be a little interesting. And I think Derek, you're right this week, despite the potential uh, Fed raising rates, and we all know the adage, don't fight the Fed. We still saw... Uh, market flow into equities. We saw equities go up. And on those same days, we saw bonds go down, which which tells me there is a risk on trade going, right? The rotation out of bonds and into equities um, was happening on a few days this week. And I think we'll start to see more of those stocks up, bonds down days as, to, as opposed to the way it's been, you know, uh, uh, more recently, which was bonds down, stocks down, right? Bonds were down because yields were going up and there was fear of the Fed and stocks would go down, right? So I think we might be moving away from the stocks down, bonds down to, you know, stocks up, bonds down type relationship. And there are times where, and it goes in waves when those two have that inverse versus correlated relationship. And it feels like it's starting to switch over. And, and it, that's partially because the market is giving people the confidence to take more risk in equities. 
people are rotating out of their blockchain and Bitcoin plays into the market. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have no research on that. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> look, and AI may be the lifesaver, the party on the yacht, like you said, right? That's the thing. You don't know. Well, that's, yeah, I won't get into that because uh, we want to get to uh, some some recommendations. But let me, let me just comment though one last thing on this chart, right? So in this little chart that you that you 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 show here, so since 1950, uh, it looks like you know in all the times where the market's up more than seven percent for the first hundred days, uh, only once was the market down more than say 1%, and that was in 1987. And actually in that scenario, it was down 14%. All the other times here, the market is up over the next 150 days. Some are smaller amounts than others, but that average of 9.4% is fairly accurate as the median. Like the median is 10% on that list of data points. A lot of these data points are double digits. A lot of them are five, seven, eight percent there's a handful of 20s in there, but like two of them, I think. But my point is, it's a fairly steady set of data points, Derek, with the exception of 1987. I think we all know what happened in October of 1987. Uh, that was a pretty bad time to be in the market. Uh, I, I don't have the, uh, a lot of people say they started in the business on that day. I did not. But a lot of people talk about Black Monday. Uh, and so look, you've got that one data point in there that you know skewed the rest of the year. But the rest of it all is, you know, fairly bullish there, Derek. Yeah. And I think it just speaks to, you made the point, you know, if we wanted to take this data and run it further, we'd say, let's, let's go against what the general market does. Like, like you always make the point, markets go up more than they go down. And the last time we saw two down years in a row was what, 2000, 2001, I think. 2001, 2002, that was three years, which is very odd. So markets generally don't go down two years in a row. We had a down year last year. And remember, a couple of shows, I don't know how many shows ago, we talked about this, Michael Cantro's idea of the hope. It's, it's housing, orders, profits, and employment. Well, housing, yes. Orders are down, although services are, are still going nuts, right? It's, it's the goods. Uh, we've seen profits year over year, they've declined and they're expected to decline the next two quarters. So we still could get employment, but I don't know. Like I, I keep getting asked the question, are we going to have a recession or not? And I like your answer. Like who cares? It all goes back to earnings. The market front runs everything. And I'll let you know when it happens, but every recession doesn't have to be a 2008 recession. And markets go Thank up goodness. more than not. I know. I mean, it's <laughs> it's rare. So that was a brutal one. It yeah. was. All right. So let's get to, uh, to, can we just jointly make the recommendation? If you haven't watched Succession, you need to start immediately because the series finale is Sunday, Jay. Uh, yeah. And uh, I know. And uh, look, sometimes there's some episodes you got to kind of push through, but they're all good setups and they're all deep. There was, a, there was an episode, Derek, we didn't, even you and I haven't even talked about the election, the election night episode. It was really kind of complicated. I had to watch it twice, and it was really well done. First time through, it was very technical to follow what was going along, but it just kind of showed what a news organization, how a news organization can even impact on election night. 
what happens. I just thought it was very cool. Uh, it's a great show. You should watch. You should watch Succession and push through it. If you think it's boring, it's not. You just didn't catch all the nuances. It's good. I don't know if we should predict who who wins or who winds up running it. I have a oh, I have a, a dark lose, horse. Lose for us. I have a dark horse. <laughs> <You> do. <laughs> Yeah. I, I yeah, like I'll just give something away. So like for 5 seconds, plug your ears. But then I cuz I have a really good recommendation as well. Uh All right, the, I'm not listening. The well, you can listen cuz you've watched all the shows. Greg. Oh, okay. Right. Cuz I think I think Madsen is is like, yeah, we're going to do the the US CEO, but he doesn't say it's Shiv. And he's getting along with Greg. I think it would be hilarious for him to or nobody wins, and that's the message. Like all the kids lose, and everybody's miserable. And anyway, so do you have a recommendation, Jay? I think everybody knows the kids are dysfunctional. Yeah, the kids are dysfunctional. None of them can win. Just yeah. has to be that way. Do you get? Do you no, got anything? And then, and I'll give. I actually have an, a movie theater movie, Jay. But go ahead if you. If you no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead with yours. I'm going to give you the the Covenant. So the Covenant in theaters right now. It's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is uh is the lead on there and it's about they're in afghanistan they use translators and the story is uh he winds up leaving afghanistan but he's got to go back and somehow get the translator out so uh without being political we there's a lot of our exit there was interesting and uh but this was during the conflict and it was really good i thought it's in the movies now i'm not sure if it's streaming yet but uh, so yeah, the covenant. I, okay, the covenant. Yeah, you got anything, right. Jay? I will. Uh, I I don't. I unfortunately, sorry, Derek. No additional recommendations on what I've recommended in the past, and of course, always succession. All right, and Florida Panthers hockey. You know it. You love it. They're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. You know it's my favorite team, right? <laughs> you need to go to a game. They're in. They're in your backyard. I mean, they're in Sunrise. How far away is Sunrise? Like an hour. Without you know, traffic? 40 minutes. Yeah. Without 40 yeah. minutes. All right. Without 45 minutes. Yeah. Yep. So look, I mean, Arizona, we have the Coyotes who may or may not be here because they can't get a new arena, but that's that's for somebody else to decide. All right, Jay. We'll uh we'll be back and we'll tell you everything that we got right and wrong in the next week. Next week. All right, Jay. Are you here next week? Are you back on the show next week? I can't. No, you're going to have to go without me. And I think, I'm not sure if Mike's around. Mike may be around, or maybe we get you another uh, another another stand-in. I know that it'll be hard to compete with the brilliance of my my sharing of knowledge here. For <laughs> but, sure, for uh, sure. I think, I think you need to share, and you'll need to get a stand-in if you want someone else to banter with. All right. Well, everyone, we'll, uh, we'll figure that out, and Jay will be on in a few weeks. So, Jay, thanks again for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Derek. Yep, see you, everyone.